Hospitality Media presents the Mike and Mo Show. Now here are your hosts, Mike Calandrillo and Maurice Moten. Welcome one and all to episode 24 of the Mike and Mo Show. Number 24, what a number, what a number. Willie Mays, Kobe Bryant, my dad, I mean you just... The greats go on and on. Regardless, welcome. Uh, we got a lot to get to today. A lot, especially in the world of NFL as training camps open. Uh, goings on all across the country. But uh, before we do that, Mo, welcome to the show. And uh, what's new in your land? What's new in my land? A lot of, well, no sleep, first of all. Oh, okay. Because as you just said, NFL training camps are kicking off and news is coming in rapidly. So I'm, I'm constantly at my computers. I can't even say computer. Computers am attached to my phone. But we'll get into, like you said, a lot of NFL today. We'll get into Chris Chris Sale's temper tantrum. And we'll talk a lot of bit of Michael Jordan, the wrap-up, that I had to blow up over on Facebook. But we'll get back to the NFL and actually, the political world, there's a lot going on in the political world with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump doing their conventions. And I tie these political conventions to NFL training camp press conferences. Why? Because, as Mike so eloquently says in most episodes, just keep it 100. Yeah. A lot of these convention people, these politicians, and these coaches do not keep it 100. Nope. They just don't. And I, I would feel like, if I'm a Titans fan, if I'm a Lions fan, if I'm a Bills fan, if I'm a Cowboys fan, I'd feel cheated. Yes, I said the Cowboys. I'd feel cheated if my NFL coach is telling me, yes, we're going to contend for the Super Bowl when you know you have an 8-8 eight eight team, when you know you have maybe a borderline playoff team. It does a disservice because this is why people don't trust politicians nowadays because they get up there and they overpromise. And this is why there's, there's again, there's distrust on both sides of the aisle with Dems and Republicans. I, I watched Hillary Clinton and I watched Donald Trump and I'm I'm not saying what side I'm leaning on, but they were they were fallacies in, in both their their speeches where you say, Well, I don't think that's gonna happen. If you think inflation is gonna come up five percent, well five percent, let me know so I can prepare for this. If you think your team is gonna be seven and nine and I'm a fan of your squad, don't tell me we're going to the playoffs. Just be honest. Again, as Mike said, keep it a hundred. Be like the weatherman, but just be more accurate about it. I can respect you more for it. But these NFL coaches are coming out yesterday, the day before, as training camps are opening, saying, yeah, we're going to compete. We're going to go out here. We're, we're shooting for the Super Bowl. Uh, ben McAdoo, the Giants head coach, talked about the Super Bowl. Well, while I believe the Giants have a chance, I don't see them as a Super Bowl team just yet. But yet, he, did, he didn't shy away from Super Bowl talk. But if you are... Uh, Jim Caldwell, head coach in the Lions, if you're Rex Ryan, who loves guarantees, stay away from Super Bowl predictions. Stay away from playoff predictions. Just say, hey, we're going to go out there, we're going to do our best, and we'll see what, where we end up at the end of the year. Todd Bowles is good for saying things like that. Very cool, common, collective. That's why I like him as the Jets coach. He doesn't really say Super Bowl or bust. He's out there saying, look, we're going to play our game, and we'll see where we are at the end of the season. As for these politicians, these coaches... Keep it 100. Make Mike happy. Be honest <laughs> to the people. Let them know what's really going on. Don't sell them fool's gold. Be honest. So are you okay, though, with the fact that everybody tries to put a positive spin or a positive light on the upcoming season? Or or do you really think that the fans need to not be toyed with emotionally then? I feel like it's okay to say 
it's okay to spin it and say, look, we're gonna we're gonna have a good season, but do not add specifics to it where you say Super Bowl or bust. Because when you say things like that, or when you say it's playoff or or failure or Super Bowl or bust, you're you're putting it on the fans to expect this because we all know fans. Most fans aren't rational. So yeah. whatever the coaches tell them, whatever it is, they're going to take it verbatim and they're going to take it to the bank. It's like promising a kid something and then not following through on the promise. There's one thing you don't do with kids is you don't lie because if you have them looking forward to something and that something doesn't happen, they throw a tantrum. And it's the same thing with fans. If, if you tell them, look, we're Super Bowl or bust and there's no Super Bowl in your city, guess what's going to happen? Your fans, are, there's going to be mutiny. Your fans are going to want you fired. So you have to be careful, even for the coach's sake, you have to be careful about what you promise and if you're over-promising something before the season even starts. Uh, yeah, that's very true. I mean, it, it's funny. It's nice to keep uh, to keep it, you know, on the up and up, to be to be sense of levity with it and give everybody, you know, a, a bit of optimism. But, I mean, come on. If... I mean, really, Cleveland Browns. Do you really think you're gonna you're going to the playoffs? I mean, exactly, and and that's and that's my point. That's the and that's my main point because Re- again, Rex Ryan loves to do this for the Jets. Yeah. If you if you get up to the podium and you know for it, as a coach, you know this. Even though you try to spin it positive, you try to give positive light. You know pretty much if you have a Super Bowl team or not. Sure. And if you're coaching the Chargers, the Titans, the Bills, the Lions right now. I was kidding about the Cowboys to take a shot at our friend out in Indiana, but if you if you're if you're coaching a, a bottom feeding team, you know at the beginning at training camp whether you have a Super Bowl team or not, and and you just don't again don't sell the fans short. We're we're not boo boo the fool here. We know we could see you don't have a Super Bowl team. If you don't have a quarterback number one. If you're if you're trying to reclaim. RG3's greatness in the league, you know you don't have a Super Bowl team, a.k.a. the Browns. If you have Mariota in his second year without a number one wide receiver, you know you're not a Super Bowl team. If you're the Chargers and you just drafted Joey Bosa and he hasn't even signed yet, you know you're not a Super Bowl team. So just please cut it out. I like the positive, but just don't overpromise. Fair, very fair, and uh, we'll see. You know, I don't think Buffalo's getting to the Super Bowl this year, but you know what? <laughs> if you ask, ask Rex Ryan, they are. So uh, good luck to all those teams that are um, on the wrong side of the record that will inevitably happen. But uh, hey, as a Jets fan, I'm ecstatic. Yeah, I- I'm ecstatic too, and we'll talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick in the next segment, Open Mic. But if you if you want someone who's going to keep it 100 people, I'm releasing my win-loss predictions for all 32 NFL teams today. Ooh. That'll be up on NFL Spin Zone. So if you feel your coach is lying to you, I'm going to tell you the truth because I keep it 100. It's funny too you say that because I was I was speaking with a guy the other day that I know, and, and he's a huge Raider fan. And, uh, you know, he was telling me, Fourteen and two, and I was, <laughs> I was like, "Are you serious?" He's like, "Yeah." Four, and he tried, tried to tell me all the reasons why, and then no. said that the their Raiders are only going to lose in Arrowhead, and I was it in Denver. It might have been in Denver, and I'm just like, "Okay, like yeah, you're everybody's darling." And I was like, "Look, my co-host knows everything there is about the Raiders." He says ten and six. He's like, "No, you tell him fourteen and two. And I'm just like. You're out of your mind. Like you're you're not keeping it one hundred at all. You're just you're shooting you're shooting the moon here and it's just come on, you're putting too much pressure on your team, man. Yeah, uh tell your friend. I don't know, did, did he look at the schedule before he made his prediction? You know what? I think so because he was really adamant about getting uh getting somebody I know in Oakland to get the Bud Light cans with the Oakland Raider logo on it. So oh. 
America. Listen, <laughs> first of all, they're starting the season on the road at New Orleans. New Orleans, I know, isn't the same Super Bowl team that won years ago. But when you go into New Orleans and you got Drew Brees and he has five receivers to throw to, it's going to be tough. They have a back-to-back East Coast trip at Tennessee, at Baltimore. Those aren't great teams, but if you know football, you know West Coast teams going East, it's hard for them. They also have, as we discussed on previous episodes, they go East back-to-back at the Jaguars, at the Bucks. I think they're going to lose one of those games because, again, going West to East is tough. They also play the defending NFC champions. Uh, that that's that's going to be tough. And this is a team that hasn't been on the primetime slot. And I believe they have three primetime games this year. So they're going to stumble in maybe one or two of those. So you, be, you go back. As a matter of fact, rec- show your friend or let your friend listen to this show and hear my explanation because I'm speaking truth here. I have the Raiders going 10-6, and six, as you said. And, I, and I'm sticking with that prediction because... You can't have a team that's been in a 14-year playoff drought all of a sudden go 14-2 and two yeah. out, of, out of nowhere to, to have the best record in the league. It, it's just not going to happen with the Raiders. I do not like their nucleus. It's going to be exciting. Khalil Mack, Amari Cooper, Derek Carr, but 14-2 is straight ridiculous. Yeah, the only— respect. The only— <laughs> you know, Well, I don't know if he's a friend, but he's an acquaintance. But um, regardless, um, the Carolina Panthers, in my opinion, may be the only team that goes 14-2, and two, and even that could be tough, you know, coming off of, of a, a little bit of a letdown in the Super Bowl last year. Yeah, 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 I mean, even I have the Carolina Panthers going 10-6 and six only because I feel like people are underestimating the loss of Josh Norman. They really don't have any number one cornerbacks back there. They, they're going to have to start a rookie. So I don't feel good about that when you're playing in the same division as a Drew Brees, as a Jameis Winston, who has two giant wide receivers, Vincent Jackson and uh, Evans, Mike Evans on the outside. And then you got the Atlanta Falcons with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. So they're, they're going to be susceptible to some points being put on the board. Ladies and gentlemen, you are in for a plethora of fantastic information for Maurice Moten from now until January. So just buckle your seatbelts and get ready because it is going to be fast and furious. That is it for the cold open. We'll be right back with open mic. And like I said, brace yourself. Open mic. are here again Gino Smith's on the bench again I'm pretty excited if you can't tell that the Jets finally re-signed Ryan Fitzpatrick so Mo is it correct that it is a two-year deal yeah that's right um it's been reported widely that it's a one-year 12 million dollar deal fully guaranteed but it's actually a two-year deal but it's just that the uh his contract on the second year voids five days after the Super Bowl. And this was done to spread his uh, $10 million signing bonus so that his seven he has a $7 million cap hit in 2016 and then a $5 million cap hit in 2017. This allows teams flexibility to kind of, I guess, have flexibility just in case they need to move cap space around and sign players or get pick up a player during the season. But basically his $12 million cap hit is not going to take place all in 2016. They, they basically cut it uh, 60-40. So it is a two-year deal, but it's just it's just not widely reported because of the specifics. But what we need to focus on is that he is back in New York for at least one more year. And uh, as you said, uh, a lot of people are rejoicing because that means Geno Smith is not starting. Ooh. 
obviously, I'm one of those people who felt like Geno Smith deserved another chance because I think he would have done well with the supporting cast. I won't be able to pick Geno Smith in our fantasy league. No, you still have to. You still have to. That's not going to happen. But Fitzpatrick comes back, and I must admit that him coming off his best season gives the Jets their best chance of winning because, again, they have a rough schedule to start the season in their first six games, and then it lightens up. So it's good for Brandon Marshall, it's good for Eric Decker, it's good for the Jets right now. Uh, Fitzpatrick was pictured with Brandon Marshall on Instagram, I believe, a week prior in Chicago. They reconnected. If you don't remember, Fitzpatrick wasn't answering Brandon Marshall's text. It wasn't a full explanation for that. But what Brandon Marshall did, he did something really stupid after uh, the deal was announced. He got into a bet with Antonio Brown to say who's going to have the most receiving yards. If Marshall wins... uh, Brown has to give him a Rolls Royce, and if if Brown wins, then he has to give uh, Marshall has to give him a Porsche. And Brown made the point that the Rolls Royce costs a hundred thousand dollars more than the Porsche, but whatever, they're gonna make the bet. And I think Marshall's overselling himself and his connection with Fitzpatrick because uh, Brown is gonna be the undisputed number one option in Pittsburgh. No Martavis Bryant. Adarius Green, the tight end, is going to be out. So he's going to be the main guy. He's probably going to lead. He's probably going to come very close to 2,000 receiving yards. Brandon Marshall still has to split time or split targets with Eric Decker on the other side. And Fitzpatrick isn't exactly the strong arm quarterback that's going to stretch the field. He's more of a, of a dink and dunk pass who can hit his big receiver. So Marshall's going to clearly lose his bet. But going back to the Fitzpatrick situation, uh, he's, he's basically betting on himself. Which is a good thing, and apparently he wanted the one-year $12 million contract the whole time. The Jets offered that three-year $24 million contract, which is $8 million per year, which he felt was a slight. He felt that was backup money, and the Jets finally coughed it up. But there's a, there's a quick caveat. Nick Foles was released right before Fitzpatrick came in, because apparently Fitzpatrick went to the Jets facility at 7 p.m., on the dot because the Jets had a soft deadline for him that if he didn't come in by 7 p.m. that they were going to move on. And ironically, Fitz, uh, Nick Foles was released hours before in the same day. So it's speculatory that the Jets could have went after Nick Foles if Fitzpatrick didn't come through by 7 p.m. So he said, oh, crap, let me go in and get my job and get my money before Nick Foles gets it. The only thing, the only issue that I have with with Ryan Fitzpatrick is that he really dramatized this entire process and by saying that he wouldn't wish this process on anyone, meaning that he was, you know, he said, she said, was he going to be a Jet, was he not going to be a Jet. Sir, you still got $12 million for the first year without your incentives and your guarantees. So, I mean, pump the brakes. You're, you're a multimillionaire once again. Uh, you're, you have a fantastic opportunity to lead your team to the playoffs and possibly more. So uh, let's, uh, let's be real when, when, when we're talking to the media about things because it's, it's football. It's, it's really at the end of the day, and you're still making a whole lot of money. Um, about, that, about that little um, potential wager that the two, uh, two Pro Bowl receivers had, the only reason I give Marshall at least props for, for betting on himself, you know, not exactly keeping it 100, keeping it like 92, is the fact <laughs> that, you know, Big Ben recently has been made of glass. You know, every year it seems like he misses a couple of games here, a couple of games there. Obviously, if he goes down, you know, that gives him, that gives Brandon Marshall a slight edge 
well, you know, I'd rather have Ryan Fitzpatrick than whoever the backup currently is with the Steelers. So, and again, Le'Veon Bell is coming back, so he's going to take some targets away. Of course, we'll see what happens with that four-game suspension, but I like the fact that uh, Brandon Marshall is sticking with his guy. Of course, if I had a $100,000 Porsche and I wanted a $200,000, you know, Phantom, I might make the bet too. So, you know, all in all, it's a win for now. Yeah, it's definitely a win for now. But if you if you check out Fitzpatrick's photo at the contract signing, this dude looks like he belongs on a coin. Like he looks like an old president <laughs> from the eighteen hundreds. Like he had no haircut. Like his beard density is crazy. He's got like a mini packed in fro. Like the dude looks like a straight Abraham Lincoln disciple when he signed that contract. I mean, no barbers in Jersey in his hometown. I'm wondering. Nope. But uh, real, real quick though, yeah. I feel again. I feel bad for Gino because uh, it feels like he was the plan B. It's like the girl who says, "Well, I'll go out with you if if John isn't available. I'll go out with you." And it so happened that John was available, so the Jets will not be going out with Gino Smith. I root for Gino Smith to get a second chance and totally blow up because it would make not Todd Bowles so much because I think Rex Ryan really hurt Geno Smith's uh, development. It would make Rex Ryan look really, really low on the totem pole as far as head coaches are concerned. But I, I still root for Geno Smith. He's not going to get the play a snap this year if Fitzpatrick stays healthy, but Geno Smith, I'm still rooting for you. I root for Geno Smith to get traded to another team. Uh, you know, obviously not the biggest fan of him. That's fine, but... Uh, yeah, where does he go from here? If, if, if uh, you know, he doesn't play a snap this year, it doesn't help his development. If he isn't going to be the starter next year, which, you know, if the Jets do well, why would they not bring Fitzpatrick back another year? Uh, he's got to go elsewhere. I mean, there's plenty of other teams that are in need of a guy who still has some sort of potential. I mean, obviously, Cleveland taking a chance on RG3 when they say Josh McCown actually looks better right now in training camp. That doesn't help RG3. Uh, who knows what happens with Denver? There, there's so many places that Geno's Smith could go and potentially get an opportunity and it just seems like this Jets team has had their full of him because if they really believed in him there's no reason that they would have brought back Fitzpatrick and then you know drafted Hackenberg there's just there's a lot of reasons as to why the writing is on the wall for this guy to to ask for a trade or hope to be released or one or the other because you know it just seems like his time in New York is is, is over basically yeah pretty much is his contract ends the year all know that Fitzpatrick is the right now and Christian Hackenberg is the future. I believe the Jets are going to try to keep him around just in case Fitzpatrick does get hurt because remember he did miss a game against the Rays when he got hurt very early in the first quarter. So they're going to keep Gino around as a backup. But at the end of the season, he's he's probably done and they turn the reins over to either Bryce Petty or Hackenberg if Fitzpatrick uh, takes a decline in his production. Peyton Manning got cleared by Al Jazeera TV. <laughs> Let's talk about my man, old Noodle Arm himself. Um, after a much, much debate on whether he took HGH or didn't take HGH or his wife was taking HGH, well, it looks like the NFL has officially cleared Peyton Manning of any wrongdoing. Now, you, Mo, are a bit of a pessimist when it comes to people I like, so you'll probably tell me that the NFL just decided to sweep this under the rug because Peyton retired. Am I wrong? Yeah, you're wrong. Okay. I actually didn't put a lot of stock in these Al Jazeera reports. If you read the reports, this guy, Charlie Sly, was a former Guy Institute employee that made the claims, and he also recanted them. He's, he sounds like a total clown. Uh, he, he really didn't work at the clinic that long, and he just kind of, like, heard that Peyton Manning was going there with his wife, and so he threw out these names. 
And it, it's, it's very convoluted, but if you read the reports, you hear, you'll see that very quickly that Sly is very... He's, he's an unreliable source. And, and there are reports right now out that uh, Clay Matthews and Julius Peppers were also on the report. And the Packers are actually pressuring both to come out and just have an interview just to kind of rebuke the claims, I, I'm guessing. But since Sly is such an unreliable source, and this is coming out that Peyton Manning's name is cleared... I don't think Matthews or Peppers have anything much to lose right now, but I think Sly is is part of this uh, this generation where we just throw out big names and information and and hope it sticks. And you see it online a lot where people spread these rumors and they go viral. Oh, person X is accused of Y, and people run with it because it's a big name and it's a juicy story. And I think this guy just did it just to get his name in the papers. And Al Jazeera apparently is a respectable uh, media outlet, but well, he just kind of ruined it with his story, with his fuck story of of Peyton Manning and his HGH use. And I'm actually happy that he got his name cleared. The guy went out as a winner. Let him be. Let him do his commercials and be happy. Uh, I I know one thing. I will call you out on one thing. When Manning, when these allegations are coming out, these were not on the on the show's rundown. You did absolutely <laughs> did not want to talk about this. And I and I let it be because I actually thought that it was bogus as well. Because if exactly. you saw Manning in his first interview after these allegations came out, he was very adamant that he didn't do it. And I pretty much believe him because why would he why would he taint his name at the end of his career? He's probably gonna be go down as one of the most as the best one of the best quarterbacks in the game, you know, before Tom Brady retires and overtakes that, but He's going to be one of the best retired quarterbacks in the game, outside of the game, and why would he taint his name at that stage in his career? It just didn't make any sense to me. The guy worked hard, and he had multiple neck surgeries. I know guys use HGH for recovery, but I just don't see Manning Manning doing that in, in a cheap sense to kind of get back in the game. If he was done, he would have retired. I mean, for all the listeners, you know by now that the Mike and Mo show is all about journalistic integrity. Okay, we're not trying to hit anybody with some slander. We ain't trying to get some lawsuits thrown our way. You know, we may talk rumors, transactions, possibilities, but we don't like to just throw out information, some fluff, to get some Twitter numbers, some Facebook likes. It's not about that. And it, and like Mo said, it is a lot of uh, it is a lot of that approach. Uh, you know, it's blogging, it's this, it's that. It's let's get how many views I can get, how many impressions. So. It's a dangerous way of writing. It's a dangerous way of relaying information. So, um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm glad for the sheriff. He's already doing some fantastic commercials. Keep it up, my man. Enjoy your time. And uh, I'm, I'm sure sooner rather than later, we will see him as the president of operations for an NFL team like the Titans since, you know, he still lives in Tennessee. Or, I mean, he can go to any, any TV network and say, I want to be your lead, you know, Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning countdown guy because he's just a brilliant football mind. Yeah, people, please exercise journalistic responsibility. Check your sources. When you read these stories online, on Facebook, on Twitter, check your sources. A lot of times these these places where you're reading these these news stories from on bogus websites yeah. for Patriots. So yeah, just please, look at the URL. If the URL is like ufoalienfiles7744.org slash government it's like, come on, it's not real. Don't don't yeah. share it. I don't want to see it. I will unfollow you. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I get people all the time who send me stories and go, is this real? And I just say, dude, look, scroll to the bottom. Yeah. Some of them even say it's a satire. Yeah. Story. 
Which... And, and you can just check the, the previous stories. Like, if you see a story that says chicken grows to the size of an alien at 500 pounds <laughs> in Waco, Texas, you know it's it's a fake site. Exactly. And Waco, Texas have, has enough problems with Baylor University right now, so let's not talk about them. But sticking in the NFL, my man AP, my man who's one of the only true Four down backs in the NFL. Reports are coming out that this will potentially be his final year in Minnesota because the team has to re-sign their quarterback, who, in my opinion, they're still waiting to blossom, uh, Teddy Bridgewater. So it looks like AP could be looking for greener pastures. Mo, I mean, at $18 million next season, that's a lot of money for a guy on the wrong side of 30. But now that Dallas has potentially their running back of the future in Ezekiel Crop Top Elliott, where could we see AP going? Is is this a smart move for Minnesota to even put this out there? I mean, I mean, what are we doing? And with with all these teams that are supposed to be keeping it one hundred or keeping it, you know, uh, positive, this seems like a, a, a I don't know a backwards kind of a move for a team that you know made the playoffs last year. Well, as long as Peterson is not going to wear a crop top wherever he goes, oh god, no, fine. But uh, <laughs> he Peterson number one. We 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 have a theme here today about keeping it 100. He needs to keep a G and say, "Look, you guys either pay me my 18 million or I'm going to leave because I'm tired of these Kevin Durant type of situations where or or you know whoever free agent has a situation where they can leave next year. You go to the office and say, "Look, are you going to pay me this money? No, okay, I can look elsewhere. Please trade me. If you are." Cool, it's over, it's done with. All this media hoopla, will he stay, will he go? All that goes away. But I think the Minnesota Vikings will probably go elsewhere because, as you said, $18 million is a lot of money for a running back over 30. Running backs aren't even valued at that high anymore. Right now, Peterson is making, on average, $5 million more than the second running back on the list as far as paychecks are concerned. He's at $14 million. The Kansas City Chiefs running back Jamal Charles is at $9 million. So I don't see him getting $18 million for the Minnesota uh, Vikings unless they do some salary cap magic and move things around because NFL teams have a propensity to do that. But I, I don't see Adrian Peterson wanting to give up his $18 million to stay with the Vikings, especially if they're not a playoff contender. Now, if they're close, if they're close to a Super Bowl, I can see the Minnesota Vikings trying to keep him there as the missing piece, it, especially if he leads the league in rushing yards again. I mean, if you think about it, over the past few years, Adrian Peterson has been the Vikings' offense. Not Christian Ponder, not Teddy Bridgewater, not Gus Farad. It's been Adrian Peterson for nearly a decade. So the Vikings most certainly need him if he's still producing at a high level. But... But if you look at the 2017 draft choices at running back in the next year, you got Leonard Fournette out of LSU. You got Dalvin Cook out of Florida State. You got Christian McCaffrey out of Stanford. You got Nick Chubb out of Georgia. So if they do let Peterson go, there are options to replace him because, as you know, unless you're the Dallas Cowboys, running backs don't go in the top five. So the Vikings will most likely have a shot at one of those running backs next year in the draft. So for all of our, our fantasy football players out there, should they feel confident drafting AP either with the first pick or a first-round pick uh, as the first running back taken off the board? As far as this year is concerned? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely, because he's going to play his heart out because you don't, if you're Adrian Peterson, you don't want to get injured or you don't want to have a down season before a big decision comes up on your contract. You want to have a great season so that it either forces the Vikings to, to either pay you 
or it's going to entice another team to pay you once that decision comes up. So if you're going to pick Adrian Peterson at the top of the draft, please do so. The guy's been over, I believe, or close to 1,300 yards in his last few years where he's actually played most of the season. When he's healthy, he's money. All right, so feel uh, feel confident drafting AP with the first overall pick and hope that he doesn't blow out his ACL. I mean, you know, that is that is the danger of any running back in the NFL, especially a guy that's going to touch the ball as many times as he's going to do. But like Mo just said, you know, upwards of 15 touchdowns a year, possibility. He's not going to catch a ton of balls out of the backfield. It's never been his iota. But uh, the things that he can do as the number one back without having to worry about someone else, you know, breathing down his neck, Jared McKinnon, um, you know, is going to be something that's going to go a long way. So we quick, shall see. Quick thing, quick thing, though. I shouldn't be offering this information because you will be an adversary during my fantasy football league, but Adrian Peterson <laughs> is actually working on catching out of the backfield, so that may be oh, an good. added point to his game in the upcoming season. He's very adamant about being able to catch out of the backfield and being a complete back in that sense. So I see him gaining about 400 yards on the ground. He may catch a few cut, a few touchdown passes because, as you know, Teddy Bridgewater is not a downfield thrower. He's going to dink and dunk. And if he throws off to Adrian Peterson, his yards after the catch could be monstrous. So I'm putting that out there. I'm putting myself out there. Mike will probably still Adrian Peterson now before me, but uh, I'm going to throw it out, out there because I'm, I'm spotting your five points almost ready for that information. But why why would he wait almost 10 years into his NFL career to finally become an all-around back? I mean, isn't this something you would have done, I don't know, like in your first or second year out of Oklahoma? I, I, I never quite understood that because, I mean, I get that he's been so dominant on the ground, but he's never been a guy that, like, is a Le'Veon Bell type. I mean, he's never been that guy that could come out, and, and he does kind of have fumble issues, you know, throughout throughout his career. That's always been a bit of a thing. So why now? You're absolutely right. And I think it's because he's trying to lessen – because when you're a running back, think about it. When you're a running back, you take a lot more hits than you would as a wide receiver. Sure. So I think he, they're going to try to maybe lessen his workload as a running back as far as carries are concerned and give him more passes in the open field so that he's he's taking less hits head on. Yeah, I mean, that, that definitely makes sense. Uh, you know, again, it's an added dimension that if he can bring that to his game, then there's no reason as to why he shouldn't be everybody's first pick off the board in every draft. I mean, you know, we'll get in, we'll get into some fantasy talk in the upcoming weeks as we get closer to the season because, again, I have won so many fantasy leagues that I just I feel like I have to give the listeners my, 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 my brilliant approach to how to win your fantasy football league. Like, again, Moe's going to draft... Everybody that either plays on Oakland or the New York Jets. And that's just not how you win. You you play the game to win. Okay? <laughs> you play to win the game. You play the game. Uh, you win the game. Football. Playoffs. Uh, Talk about you, playoffs? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I went off on a tangent. Listen, listen I gave the information for you and Laura out there in Indiana. I know she's going to pick all Ohio State people anyway. Yeah, when, Once they get out of jail. That, exactly but, uh, gonna happen. That, that was a help for you, Mike. So I, just, I just threw you a bone there, so you have no reason to, to lose all your football games in that fantasy league. Maybe you'll hit 500 if you pick up Adrian Peterson. You, you, just, you, you worry about yourself there, homeboy. I got this. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to draft players under 5'7", and I'm going to dominate with speed and agility so let's move on to Believeland beautiful Believeland home of LeBron James and now Josh I'm not selling cars Gordon Josh Gordon has been reinstated kind of uh he is going to be slapped with a four-game suspension which I'm 
really kind of confused. I mean, the man was just suspended for an, uh, a season. Now he's another four-game suspension. Uh, I don't really understand how that added up. I mean, whatever. Roger Goodell's got his got his issues. Uh, regardless, uh, Mo is a bit Mo's a fan. Mo feels that he Josh Gordon is going to stay on the straight and narrow. I am a pessimist. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I would love to because again, the guy's got all the talent in the world, and it would be fun to see him. Uh, you know, have the ball thrown opposite another Baylor Bear. Uh, but again, four, four games is a lot, and you know, in an NFL season that only has, you know, 17 weeks. Uh, there is a rumor that the Philadelphia Eagles would love to trade for Gordon. Uh, but again, uh, that could be smart because Cleveland's not going anywhere. But uh, but according to Gordon, he's saying all the right things. Super happy, uh, super glad that that he's even been given another chance by Cleveland. You know, especially after the Johnny Manziel drama. So I mean, Mo, what do you see out of out of Gordon this year? Are we talking Pro Bowl? Are we talking mediocre? I mean, what what should we expect from from a guy with you know a, a very cloudy past? Well, as you say, he's serving a four-game suspension, but I think with his talent, he could still reach a 1,000 yards, especially if he stays in Cleveland and RG3 is pretty good because opposite him is a rookie in Corey Coleman. So automatically, he's going to be their number one option once the day he steps on the field. So he's going to get a lot of targets. So again, if you're going to draft Josh Gordon, I wouldn't draft him at the top, obviously, but he's going to still have a pretty good season. If you want a kind of a, of a, a wide receiver two or three steal, Josh Gordon is your guy. But as you said, he has to stay away from Johnny Menzel. Johnny Menzel is his friend. He said he said this, that Johnny Menzel is his friend and he'll be his friend and support him regardless of what the media says. But for his professional purposes, for his professional life, he needs to separate himself from Johnny Menzel. Menzel, I believe, punched somebody at a wedding reception or something recently. and He, he did apologize and he did make up for it. But Johnny Menzel has his own issues. And even Gordon said this, that they're both headed on two different paths right now. They're headed in opposite directions in their, in their careers. And he needs to just focus on getting back on the field, rehabilitating his image. And I watched his press conference, and as you said, he said all the right things. He's pretty contrite. So I, I have faith in Josh Gordon. Chris Carter even spoke about spoke to Josh Gordon. He spoke about him on a radio show last year saying that the, the guy is pretty smart. If you hear him talk, he has his wits about him. He just makes poor decisions. And this goes back to what I was saying about Johnny Menzel is that sometimes you could be a good guy and make good decisions on your own, but when you get around the wrong crowd, you fall into a bad category. And as long as he stays away from the bad crowd, he can walk straight now and he can also be a fantasy asset. He could be an asset for the Cleveland Browns. I'm really excited for that triangle, that Baylor triangle they have in Cleveland. RG3 at quarterback, Josh Gordon on one side, Corey Coleman on the other. I think they could have something special. I predicted them to go 5-11 and 11 this year. I'm not budging off that, even with Josh Gordon on the field. But they have a propensity to maybe upset a few teams with Josh Gordon at the top of his game. So I'm rooting for Josh Gordon. I'm rooting for Cleveland. I'm rooting for Hugh Jackson. It's crazy to think this guy's still only 25 years old, and he's you know he's been in and out of the NFL more times than you know I can count. So you know it, it's nice to see a guy that get another opportunity, regardless of you know what's going on in his personal life. Um, you know, hopefully he can stay on the stay on the path because he's a he's a heck of a talent. Uh, and you know, again, the people of Cleveland really need uh, need the Browns to do something positive because it's been so bad for so so long. And and think about this. He actually led the league in receiving yards in a year. I believe he missed two games in 2013. He missed two games and still led the league in receiving yards with 1,646 yards through the air, nine touchdowns. So again, if you're if you're a little iffy on Josh Gordon, take the flyer on him, especially if he's like your wide receiver three. Take the flyer on this guy because he's 
Again, he's going to be the number one option for RG3. He's already well acquainted with RG3. As I said, they both played a Baylor together. So he's a, he's a guy you want to keep your eye on. And again, I, I, I root for him. All right, let's move on to the Dallas Cowgirls, Cowboys. Um, and their and their atrocity, which is a front office. Uh, it appears that the Dallas Cowboys are going to be fined roughly two hundred and fifty grand for having three players that were suspended at one point or the other uh, in the in the past season. And uh, it, it just continued with Randy Gregory again being suspended. Uh, I mean, I don't really have much sorrow for this organization that continues to take chances on guys who just can't get it together. I mean, we we saw it last year with with Hardy and you know his allegations and now it looks like nobody wants to touch him i mean what 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 are they doing is it is it just that jerry jones is a really nice guy and he's hoping to uh you know help these guys out or is it more of he's looking to you know not spend a lot of money on a guy that he can potentially get you know something out of i mean how should we look at it especially cowboys fans is this a good look for them i mean on paper it's not but are they doing the right thing or is this just a huge mess you bring up a good point. You can look at it two ways. You can look at Jerry Jones as making bad decisions, or you can look at it as him being charitable. And I know we referenced uh, Steinbrenner a couple episodes ago about giving Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden chances even after their checkered pass. Yeah. But, however, 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 Jerry Jones has has filled it to the brink. He's done it. He's overdone it. Because if you look at the guys who are suspended on his roster right now, Rolando McClain, had incidents with the Raiders, and he had off-the-field off the field incidents, and the Raiders eventually waived him. This is after he had, like, a Facebook rant saying he's not a Raider anymore. The guy signs with the Ravens April 2013, then retires a month later. So the guy, you question his his love of the game, in a sense, and you don't want a guy like that in your locker room. Then you got Demarcus Lawrence, who was suspended multiple times in the college ranks. He, 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 he appealed his suspension, and it was denied by the NFL. Then you got Randy Gregory, who was suspended at Nebraska and then failed a drug test at the Combine. This is at his job interview. He fails a drug test. That should tell you that's a guy you want to stay away from as your first-round pick. But no, Jerry Jones goes ahead, goes ahead and takes a chance. And Jerry Jones is known as, as taking chances. He's a businessman. This is how he got to where he is today. We get it. But there's 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 a limit to everything. And I, and I look at Jerry Jones right now kind of like the late Al Davis, the late great Al Davis. He took a lot of chances at the end of his tenure before he passed away and it didn't work out for him and Jerry Jones is doing the same thing and it's not working out for his team at least in, in the totality of things where this team is going to start the season without their pass rushers they, they're not going to have a they're going to be a good team but they're not going to have a pass rush so against teams with good offensive lines and a good passing attack the Cowboys are going to struggle and this is why I think they could possibly lose their opening game to the New York Giants when the season opens because they don't have anyone to pressure Eli Manning so Jerry Jones, this is this is an indictment on him. He needs to figure out a vetting process to get at least you know good quality players above the shoulders on his roster instead of looking at just production because that was behind him signing Greg Hardy and you see how that worked out. And he he needs to very carefully craft this team because this team now Tony Romo is 30, I believe 36 years old that window of opportunity is, is going to close very quickly if Tony Romo especially if Tony Romo has another injury I know they have a three man running back system but he needs to think about the now he needs to win now or things are going to get restless out there on the ranch so he needs to figure this out bring in some good quality pass rushers not only on the field but from the neck up yeah. Jerry Jones you're screwing up 
get it together. <laughs> and let's not forget, this is a team that currently employs uh, Des Bryant. And at any moment, this guy could go off. And, you know, there is some reports that he was another NFL player that trash, trashed a rental house uh, in this offseason. So not really sure about what the uh, what the fun is in trashing someone else's property. But we have seen that from multiple reports this season. So that is it for Open Mic. We're going to be right back with Building Momentum. We're going to talk a couple of MLB transactions. We'll be right back. It's now time for Building Momentum. Mike, have you ever taken a a wine bath ever in your life? Ever? (laughs) No, but I have taken an Epsom salt bath. Does that count? Yeah, nowhere close to what Amari uh, Stoudemire has had in his career. He's he's taking wine baths to extend his career and keep himself healthy. And you got to give praise to Amari Stoudemire. He came to the Knicks during the, dr- the downtrodden times in the franchise. Think about this. When he came to the Knicks, pre-stat, this, is the, this was the Knicks starting lineup. Just listen to this, okay? Chris Duhon at point guard. Wilson Chandler, Danilo Gallinari, Al Harrington, and David Lee. That was the Knicks starting five before Amari Stoudemire got there. They were a 29-53 team. He gets to the Knicks, and all of a sudden, they're in the playoffs. Now, I bet I know Carmelo Anthony came right after Amari Stoudemire, after the two games, after the All-Star game in 2011. But I question whether Carmelo Anthony would have come to New York without Amari Stoudemire already being there. Because remember, when Anthony came to the team, that was the big story. Oh, Amari Stoudemire and Carmelo Anthony, they're becoming buddy-buddy. They want to work together. They want to bring New York back back to prominence. But that was Stoudemire's mantra before before Anthony even got there. He said he wanted to go back. To, he wanted to not go back to New York, but go to New York and build this franchise from the ground up. Again, they were downtrodden. They they had nine seasons of, of not even 40 wins, and they had one playoff appearance in, in those nine seasons. So... He boosted, the fr- he boosted the franchise up at a bad time, so you got to give him props for that. I know people are going to say, well, he was injured all the time. Well, what about that time he punched a fire extinguisher after Game 2 of the Miami Heat series in the playoffs? I get all of that, but he, he actually started the rejuvenation in the Big Apple, and you got to give him credit for that because he came there when, no one else, when everyone else said, no, I'll go elsewhere. So, again, the people being pessimists, the guy left Steve Nash, who's probably the best passing point guard in the game for the Knicks and Chris Duhon. Like, seriously, get, he, instead of choosing a big three, he chose the big apple in the tough market, and I give props to Mario for that. Salute to him. Yeah, and it's wonderful to see that the organization, you know, signed him for that, you know, that one-day deal so that he could retire a Nick because, you know, obviously his heart will forever be in New York, and that's what he said, you know, via social media. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that he, that he retired, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, I know he's 33, which, again, is not old, uh, even for the NBA. Uh, you know, it's... It, most guys retire in NBA 38, 39, you know, they're playing longer these days. I, you know, we realize that he suffered a, a lot of injuries in his career, the detached retina, uh, you know, microfracture surgery on his knee. Uh, and again, this guy came in the NBA at 18 and he was an absolute hurricane. And that's that's the thing that people seem to forget about these guys that show up out of nowhere and are just absolutely electric uh, tracy mcgrady i mean there's so many guys like this that people say oh well they were hurt or oh they they ended their career you know as a, as a this or a that but remember how good these guys were in their prime 18 years old the guy won rookie of the year i mean he was all nba first team 2007 uh, 2002 uh, i mean he just continually went off and unfortunately signed with the miami heat last year wasn't you know for whatever reason didn't get an opportunity to really play uh you know 
know, I'm sure that had a lot to do with, you know, being dis- disenfranchised with, with basketball in general. And again, doesn't need the money. Uh, I'm sure he did the right, the right thing with it. He owns a, a professional team in Israel. So if he really wants, he can go back there and play. But, you know, I just want, I just want fans in general to just appreciate what they got to see, uh, whether it was not for not long enough, in your opinion, uh, or not. It's still, it's still a human being that played the game to the best of his ability, had some fantastic years, then, you know, at least went out on his own terms. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you mentioned his rookie of the year. Uh, quick stat, him and LeBron James are the only players to win rookie of the year out of high school. So think about that. He's going to be in record history books forever for that. And you got to look at what he what he's done with the Phoenix Suns. I know those are probably his glory years. But again, it was more about his gesture coming to New York than what he did on the court for the Knicks. Again, he had a good first season there. He made the All-Star game. He was the first Nick in, like, I believe, since Patrick Ewing to start an All-Star game in the Nick uniform. So, again, he, he did some unbelievable things. But, of course, in this society, we live in the moments to remember the most recent thing, and that's him being injured on the bench. But that's not how I remember Mario Stoudemire. Yeah, I mean, remember 2010, 2011, his first year. I mean, he literally put together a franchise record, uh, what was it, 30-point games nine times. In, I mean, that, that's insane. I mean, he was on fire. And when he developed that that little outside jumper, you know, that 17-foot, 18-foot jumper, he was unstoppable for a good two, three seasons. And again, yeah, he could have stayed with Steve Nash. I mean, they had a heck of a team. He took the chance. Look, he got paid well. But again, it's not easy to go from that to a Knicks team that was searching for an identity. And yeah, when the Knicks released him, he went to Dallas. And, you know, maybe he should have stayed with Dallas instead of going to Miami the following year. But, you know, he was on a little bit of that, you know, hunt for the ring. So uh, who knows? Maybe we'll see him back at some time this year, uh, next year. It, it all depends. I still think 33 is a young man. Not that he necessarily needs to play the game. But, you know, if there's a team that comes calling, a la San Antonio or somebody that that he can potentially, you know, help. Uh, you know, we may not have seen the last of him, but if we did, you know, uh, at least Mo, I know Mo and I are, are appreciative as Nick fans for, you know, for the times that he spent in a Nick uniform because it was a lot of fun to watch him when he did. Yeah, unfortunately for Amari Stoudemire going to the Spurs, I believe David Lee already beat him to the punch because David Lee signed a two-year deal with the Spurs to try to win a ring there. Yeah. So uh, if, if Amari does come back, I'm happy for him. Hopefully he, he comes back trying to win a ring. But... We're going to move on to something that will make Mike, that probably made Mike happy, probably happier than a schoolgirl at a Justin Bieber concert years ago. <laughs> uh, the Yankees traded a Rollis Chapman, and they're going to pick up four players and a main asset, I believe, Labor Torres, the, the shortstop. He, he was also suspended for domestic violence in 29 games, which is another story that I won't get into right now. But, but Mike, did this trade make you happy? A lot of people, uh, shout out to my guys Kenny and Nate, who covered the story on Empire Rights Back. They said that the Yankees made out like bandits on this trade. Yeah, I mean, you have to be because our oldest Chapman is a free agent, you know, as soon as this season is over. And the Yankees did it. They did approach him in June about signing a long-term uh, contract extension, and he was noncommittal. So the Yankees did the smart thing. You you cannot let a guy who you again they traded for from Cincinnati uh, in the off season. They gave up you know four prospects of their own. Only one guy was a top ten in rookie Davis. So again, you want to recoup what you gave up. And and if you look at you look at the trade, uh, what they received from the Cubs blew away what they gave up originally. 
uh, to Cincinnati. I mean, Glaber Torres was the number one overall prospect in the entire Cubs organization. And, and people will say, well, why would the Cubs do that? They didn't want to give up uh, Kyle Schwaber, who, you know, obviously coming off major knee surgery is no longer a prospect. Uh, they didn't want to give up uh, Javier Baez. Why would you give up the number one prospect? And yeah, it's a little confusing, but then you look at the Cubs' current makeup, and they've got Addison Russell, who I think is only 22 years old, and he's their starting shortstop. And, you know, if he continues to develop with the bat, should be their shortstop for the next 12 seasons. So, you know, Torres was expendable. Uh, they also got Billy McKinney, who I actually really like. I think he's a little bit uh, stronger of a Brett Gardner type outfielder, a little slap and, slap and run type of guy. Uh, he was the number five prospect in the entire Cubs organization. Uh, they got uh, an outfielder by the name, uh, I'm escaping me at the moment. I know his first name is Rashad. I think it's Rashad, Rashad and Crawford. Excuse, uh, Crawford, right? Rashad Crawford? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, don't, we didn't really know a lot about him. Uh, he was drafted in 2012 straight out of high school, but he's got he's got a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, uh, still developing. You know, he, he could be a guy in two or three years from now, all of a sudden comes on and, you know, starts to make his mark. But, you know, he might have been a throw-in. And then, of course, they got uh, they got Adam Warren, who was with the Yankees uh, actually a year and a half ago when he was included in the Sterling Cash, Castro trade. So if you look at the way that Brian Cashman kind of constructed this deal, it's kind of like he only only traded Chapman uh, now for not only Castro, but the four guys he got in return. So it's a great trade. Uh, the Yankees are still in that murky water area of will they contend, won't they contend. And it's and it's interesting because since they traded Chapman, they've actually won two out of three games against the Houston Astros. So again, uh, the Yankees didn't necessarily wave the white flag by trading Chapman because they had plenty of other options in the bullpen with Batantis and Miller. Uh, it'll be more interesting to see now with only three days to go until the trade deadline is what do they do with Carlos Beltran, their other uh, free agent to be. You know, there, there's there's uh, if they're going to do a, a rebuild, you know, now's the time. You, you don't want to be stuck with a guy at the end of the season where you have to offer a qualifying offer. And I actually wrote a piece about that today on Yanks Go Yard about how the qualifying offer is going to go up next season to almost $17 million a season. And so if you slap him with that tag and no one signs him, now you're paying a 40-year-old guy that can only DH $17 million for one season. And, you know, the Yankees still have Alex Rodriguez, and they could use some starting pitching. So uh, you want to trade, you, you trade him now before the non-waiver deadline. Otherwise, come, you know, August 2nd, uh, any player has to pass through waivers. And usually that doesn't happen because, you know, who's a team in the American League that is any good that's going to let another team acquire Carlos Beltran that it's just not going to happen so you trade him now you continue what you've done you're stockpiling assets and that's what the Yankees have neglected for years they're always you know let's go out and sign this guy you know let's overpay for him let's trade the prospects so it's a change of thinking it's a little different than what most Yankee fans are accustomed to but it's not a bad thing it's actually pretty smart because when and if the day comes that Jorge Mateo the number one prospect in the Yankee organization who is a shortstop is ready to go, you can either trade him, you can trade Torres, who they're going to move to second base, or you can trade current shortstop Didi Gregorius if they do decide to, to acquire a hitter or a pitcher. So again, you're stockpiling assets. The kid's only 19. He's not going to play this year or next year. You know, you're probably looking at a 2018, you know, call up to the big league. So there's a lot of time to go. Maybe some Yankee fans aren't really happy that, you know, we've gave away a, a huge piece. The guy just just threw a fastball 105.1 miles an hour for the fastest recorded fastball in the history of the game. Very exciting. But again, uh, you got to look at it from an outsider's point of view. It's smart for the long haul. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But uh, here, I, I'm an NFL guy, but I have my pulse on MLB also. And John Heyman of today's knuckleball also said that the Yankees are, are, have inquired multiple times about Chris Sale, who we'll get into more in, in a bit. 
But if they had Chris Sale, do you see them still surging up the AL East to contend for a spot in the playoffs? Not no? not this year. Unfortunately, their offense is just way too inconsistent. And you look to two nights ago when they played Houston and they were going for the sweep and Toronto lost and and the Red Sox lost, and they had an opportunity to move within, like, five games of, of the division and, like, three, I think it was two and a half or three games of the wild card, and they lost. Why? Because Lance McCullers, a, a young phenom pitcher for Houston, shut them down, 11 strikeouts. That's the thing. The Yankees, Yankees pitching as of late has been really good. Michael Pineda, Nate Voldy since he came out of the bullpen. Tanaka, mm, Tanaka's been really inconsistent, and it's frustrating because, you know, he's a $155 million man. Uh, even Ivan Nova's been pretty good, and now that they called up Luis Severino, there's there's options there. And again, we've heard that a lot of teams are interested in possibly acquiring these pitchers from the Yankees because they're young, young they're inexpensive, and next year's free agent class of pitchers is not very good. So, yes, the Yankees could potentially acquire a guy like Sale, but it's going to take five six minor league pieces to to acquire said guy and again sales only 27 and he's locked up for i believe at least two more seasons at a relatively or maybe even three relatively uh inexpensive role so as much as i would love sale and he would finally give the yankees that that number one this team as currently constructed isn't ready to compete now again uh Say sale doesn't get dealt now, and the Yankees go into the offseason, and they and Mark Teixeira comes off the books, and Carlos Beltran is off the books, and a bunch of other players. And I think it's something they're freeing up like ninety million dollars over the next two season wins. A Rod and Sabathia come up. Now could be the time to grab a guy like Sale to cash in those chips because now you've got the room to to really make a move. Uh, but as currently constructed, it's kind of a lateral movement because you got rid of Chapman and you got a bunch of things, but you're going to cash him in for Sale. And even though he's really good, he's a little bit of a knucklehead and we'll talk about that in a minute and i just i'm just not ready to to say that these these yankees as they're currently constructed can compete because their offense is just not where it needs to be and after sale where do you go i like i said tanaka one game he looks great one game he looks horrendous there's been reports that he needs uh he needs to pitch every six days like he did in japan to be to be effective and unfortunately the major leagues have a five-man rotation so you can't really add a six-man it throws off the entire timing of the rotation and it just makes your bullpen that much weaker so again will he ever come around i don't know but as much as it is to have a nice guy at the top of your rotation like that you really need to have a, a two a three and a four so while the yankees really have a solid bullpen still even after trading chapman there's still a lot of work to be done and unfortunately as big a fan as i am and i love to see them win they're they're at least another year away from really contending in, in the ultra strong american league East. So there you have it, Yankees fans. No sale for you. <laughs> At least not, not yet. Not Maybe yet. Next year. Not yet. But one thing that I had, I kind of, you're probably going to be surprised about this, but I do agree with what Sale did. Uh, if you guys haven't heard, he actually cut up the the 1976 throwback White Sox jerseys before the start because he felt they were uncomfortable and would affect his pitching mechanics. Now he had a quote and he kind of pinned this on Robin Ventura. I'm going to read the quote. He said, Robin is the one who has to fight for us in that department. If the players don't feel comfortable 100% about what we're doing to win the game and we have an easy fix, it was an easy as it was easy as hanging up another jersey and everyone was fine. For them to put business first over winning, that's when I lost it. Now, again, he, he destroyed or shredded the jerseys because he felt like, it, again, it would affect his, his gameplay. But I took a look at these jerseys, Mike, and they are ugly. Super, they look like yeah. Boy Scout baseball club jerseys. <laughs> I really don't like them. Yeah, they have a collar. I, 
about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, well, they're terrible. They like soccer jerseys, to be honest with you. Yeah, and they're all, it looks, it just looks sloppy, and it looks kid. I don't know, but um, <laughs> the guy, the guy actually did two things. He, he got, well, he got suspended five games, but only this one start, because again, he's a pitcher, so he, that's one start in rotation. But again, the common theme is Robin Ventura not taking charge of his clubhouse. If you remember earlier in the year, uh, Adam LaRoche had a situation with his kid in the clubhouse, and it seems like Robin Ventura really didn't have control over that, so Kenny Williams had to step in. But I, I think I think this is this is another indictment on Ventura. He needs to go. He obviously doesn't have control of what's going on because if if Sale felt that Robert Ventura would actually do something about it, he would have went to Robert Ventura and they would have come to a settlement. But instead, he took matters into his own hands and did what he did. So again, uh, Ventura, guy, he's got to go. Yeah, Ventura is just holding the seat warm until you know somebody else, maybe uh, maybe a Joey Coro who's been a, a coach in the in the organization for a long time, or you know they hire somebody uh, from out of the organization. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely lost control of of that clubhouse. And any any time that happens, you see things like this. I mean, Chris L, I think he missed his calling. Should have been a, a ninja because while the team was doing uh, you know batting practice, this guy went in the the the, the dugout, the the locker room, and and shredded. No, I don't know how many, maybe all of the jerseys because he was smart enough to know that he couldn't just cut up his because they would have just given him someone else's. He cut them all up or a majority of them at least to know that, hey, there's no way anyone's going to wear this. And the one thing that I'll agree with you on why even though this is a little psychotic, uh, it makes sense to a certain point because there's an unwritten rule in baseball that the starting pitcher of said game actually gets to choose the uniform. So if you know that Chris Sale, who is by far your best player, not only your best pitcher, uh, is not going to be comfortable wearing a particular uniform. Why would you let him? Because what it does, it puts your team at a disadvantage. If he's not comfortable, he's not going to pitch the way he does. And if you know Chris Sale's body type, he's a string bean. So an uncomfortable jersey on a really skinny, tall guy is not going to be comfortable. So he's not going to pitch well, and you're not going to win. So I get the fact that he said it's not about winning. It's about, you know, uh, having people come out and and spending money on these ugly jerseys. And, and, you know, it's about the marketing aspect of, you know, come come watch your White Sox wear a throwback. And, you know, I get it. The White Sox stink. They're looking to to sell tickets as much as they can but you still need to be concerned about the product on the field and the thing that I, I thought about above all of this is would this hurt the White Sox if they decided to trade Chris Sale because the thing is, is as good as he is and as, and as dominant as he can be over the next who knows three four five years uh, will a team potentially take a chance on a knucklehead who's willing to slice and dice his way to getting exactly what he wants and he was the guy that kind of led the revolt in the, uh, in the, in the preseason during spring training during the whole the LaRoche incident and you know basically he said we're not going to take the field today uh we're not we, we stand behind our players and I get that he's a clubhouse guy he's a team player if you're a player in that organization you love a guy like this but uh if you're a fan or you're the guy that's paying him I pay you to wear a certain jersey so I see I see both sides of it uh it'll be interesting I definitely think that if they do decide to train him which they should because this team needs a complete revamping they'll still get you know, enough for him. They may not get exactly what they had hoped for, uh, say, a week and a half ago. But, yeah, he should go. Uh, the White Sox should trade David Robertson, who's an ex-Yankee closer. They should trade Todd Frazier. This is a team that needs to completely uh, revamp itself from head to toe. Uh, and I think anybody that's a, uh, excuse me, a White Sox fan would, would agree because they're just treading water, and they've been treading water, I don't know, for like four or five seasons right now. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. But uh, real quick, I know ESPN has Buster only, but we, we have Mike Calandrillo. So I, 
I want Mike to tell us what's going on in the, in the trade mill and in, in the trade machine for MLB right now because I know there are trades going on with the deadline approaching quickly. Yeah, it's start, it's starting to heat up. It's been slow, and I and I've said this for a while now. Ever since the uh, the implementation of the second wild card, there's a lot more teams that feel they are they're in it. You know, they're in it to win it, which is great for fans, but not necessarily fun for us to talk about. Uh, but you know, there's starting to be a couple trades. The uh, San Francisco Giants acquired Twins infielder Eduardo Nunez, and for you Mets and Yankees guys, you've heard this name. He used to play for the Yankees. Was never really that good. Well, kind of put it all together this year. He's 29, and he finally became an all-star. Now, you may say, well, anybody become an all-star on the Minnesota Twins, and I wouldn't necessarily argue with you. But he's leading off. He's hitting over 300. He's got 25 stolen bases, and he's going to a team at San Francisco that needs a guy that can kind of do a little bit of everything. Uh, Matt Duffy, the third baseman, has been either really bad or hurt for the majority of the year. Uh, Joe Panic, the second baseman, is just finally coming back from an injury where he missed almost a month, and they had Ramirez. Pena playing second, another action Yankee. Uh, Nunez can also play the outfield, and they've been without Hunter Pence now for almost two months, so you can plug him in right or left field. Look, he's going to give you a guy that's not going to, you know, win you uh, the World Series by himself, but it's a guy that can hold down a position, uh, you know, for, for a long while until they get uh, their other pieces back, or, you know, could fill in as a third baseman because, again, Duffy wasn't exactly setting the world ablaze. And, you know, they gave up a uh, young left-handed pitcher, Alberto Mejia. Again, a guy who's 19 years old. Who knows what he's going to be? Time will tell. Now, the big trade and the one that, according to sources, is going to start the domino effect uh, here here with only three days remaining until the trade deadline is uh, that the Miami Marlins acquired Andrew Kashner and Colin Ray from the San Diego Padres. Now, uh, Kashner's not a bad pitcher. Uh, if you remember, a couple years ago, he was actually dealt from the Chicago Cubs to San Diego for Anthony Rizzo, who now is a, a big-time all-star fan, one of the best first uh, first basemen in all of baseball. So Kashner is kind of a little bit of a, of a letdown, but he's a guy that, when healthy, can eat up innings. And again, the Marlins needed somebody behind Jose Fernandez to compete. And obviously, the Marlins still in second place right now in running for that wild card. But the big thing of why that this is potentially could be a domino effect is that they gave up their the Marlins gave up their top first base prospect Josh Naylor and a uh, young right-handed throwing uh, pitcher. Luis Castillo, but Naylor was their first round pick last year. I believe he was the the 12th overall pick in the draft and he was a top 100 prospect uh, according to MLB.com already. So it was kind of surprising to see uh, to see the Marlins give up this guy, especially this is a club that needs a first baseman. Justin Bohr, uh, you know, he's okay. He's a, he's a young guy himself, but he's not exactly, you know, uh, doing a whole lot right now. He's been off and on the, uh, the DL this year. So for the Marlins to give up a guy like like Naylor and Castillo, who are, are two big prospects, it, you know, it signals uh, to the club and fans that this team is ready to compete, which is always, you know, fun to see. Um, Marlins got plenty of young guys, so I guess they felt these two were expendable. But, you know, could they have gotten more? Maybe. Uh, you know, a lot of teams were asking for those two from the Marlins. So for them to kind of, I guess, decide that uh, Kashner was the best of the best, Okay, so be it. You know, Ray's only 26. He could come out of the bullpen. He's club-controlled for at least three or four more years. So, again, not a bad trade. Uh, hopefully for the Marlins it pans out. Otherwise, you know, it's always dangerous to trade prospects for, for guys that, you know, are iffy. But, again, prospect is just that. It's, it's, a, it's a dangerous word right now, and I try to tell Yankee fans that all the time. Is We're, all, we're so, we're so like, fixated on these prospects of what could be. But how many prospects really make it? Uh, there's too many prospects, and, and not all of them 
we're going to get to that level. So if you've got a guy that at least is a proven commodity as a professional, sometimes you got to pull the trigger. If it comes back to bite you, so be it. But what happens if the Marlins go ahead and win the World Series this year? Well, then it was worth it. Not saying that right now that they're in the prime pole position to do so, but again, anything's possible if you're looking to make moves that are going to benefit the team right now. I'm all for it. So good trade. Um, I can't wait to see what happens over the next three days. I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about, you know, come uh, come this time next week. But uh, Mo, do you do you see your Mets doing anything? Do you want them to do anything? Because I watched uh, the Yaza the other night play for uh, Cespedes, and he's just horrible. Yeah, I, I, I don't see the Mets doing anything major. They might do something minor. I really can't think of what they could do right now, but... Um... As Presley constructed, I, you know it's going to be tough for them to make the playoffs, especially with the Marlins making moves and stuff like that. But I don't see anything major before the deadline. I could be again, I could be wrong, but we'll see. Well, that is it for the uh, for I don't know for everybody's favorite segment, really building momentum. That was, that was that was everything from A to Z for Mike. I mean, take that Buster only. Mike, Mike is there; he's right behind you. I give this guy an MLB reporting job. Hey. He just gave rundown in probably under five minutes i appreciate it and i'm only 33 so i can reach a younger target audience instead of <laughs> uh, you know the old men of the world which is fine hey you're great at what shots you do fired. shots fired but you know what you know what bryce harper wants to talk to me he don't want to talk to his grandfather so that's all i have to say about that <laughs> but you guys gonna compare hair products yeah well you know what we could be hair models for like vidal sassoon and we could set Set the, the, the Paris world ablaze with our with our flowing locks. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. We're going to be back with uh, with the wrap-up. And Mo's going to, you know, Mo likes to get real deep. So we, we're going to talk, we're gonna talk uh, some important stuff. We're going to talk the inclusion of uh, the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan. We'll be right back. The Wrap-Up. As you all know by now, if you've been listening to the Mike and Mo show, there is something every week that grinds my gears. And one of those things this week was the out was the outrage on Michael Jordan. I, he actually did something good, and people are still outraged over it. I don't get it, but let's get into the specifics. Jordan donated one million to I, the ICP, which is the International Association of Chiefs of Police. Uh, their Institute of Community Police Relations received $1 million, and also the NAACP Legal Defense Fund received $1 million. So, with that said, people are saying, well, what took Michael Jordan so long to, to have this social awareness about him, to be socially conscious? Why, why, did, why did it take him so long? He, he, his brand must be threatened by what's going on. And to those people, I say one simple thing. It's never too late to do the right thing. Okay? Number two... You cannot compare him to guys like Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Those guys are in a different realm as far as it goes when it, when, it, when you speak about social matters. They're out in the open with theirs. MJ is not, okay? And, that, and that's fine, too. It doesn't make it better or worse whether you're out in the front or you're behind the scenes doing things, donating, or whatever you do to help help your community. Just keep in mind, Michael Jordan lost his dad to senseless gun violence when in his uh, earlier years. But that's besides, that's besides the point. We also have to remember that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar kind of took a shot at MJ when he said he took commerce over his conscience. That's unfortunate for him, but he's got to live with it. That was a shot at him at Michael Jordan, reportedly saying that Republicans buy shoes too. When in, I believe he was asked, is he going to support Democratic candidate Harvey Gantt? 
but apparently there's refutable evidence. He maybe said it as a joke, or maybe he didn't say Republicans buy shoes too at all. That's up for debate. But the point is, uh, people are coming down on Michael Jordan for basically not being like Ali or Brown or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I say, don't compare him to those guys. He, he's, he's Michael Jordan. Number two, there are people saying, well, Michael Jordan must be speaking out socially because his brand is threatened, blah, blah, blah. He has never done this before. Let me run down some instances for those who are not informed about the situation. Now, again, I got this from The Undefeated, which is on ESPN, which is an African-American realm within ESPN. They write stories centered around African-Americans for the most part. And through the story, it, it talks about Jordan speaking out and doing things for the African-American community that you guys who are listening to the show, and even in myself, I wasn't aware of. Number one, he spoke out against Donald Sterling and his insensitive racial comments years ago. Donald Sterling was the owner of the Clippers, and he was ousted for his, for his insensitive comments that were recorded. Uh, he also, Jordan, spoke out against the anti-LGBT H2 bill in North Carolina. He... he, he wrote a letter and, and expressed his disgust over that. And the most important thing to the African-American community, he's actually putting people in positions to succeed. He's giving them jobs, people. The Hornets have more people of color holding top front office positions than any sports organization in a major sport in America. What does that mean? He's putting, he's putting money in pockets. So when you say, oh, Jordan doesn't do anything for the African-American community, he doesn't donate this, he doesn't do that, he's giving people work. More than any other sports organization in America. What more can he do besides that? So all you people saying, oh, Jordan does nothing for his people. Please check his record because it's totally false. And again, me and Mike spoke about this in the previous segment about bogus stories. There's bogus stories about, oh, but Jordan invests in prisons. Well, I did my research and apparently that's not the right Michael Jordan. Apparently the Michael Jordan you're referring to investing in prisons was an ex, I believe, congressman or he was governor of Oregon. You can check the records on that. It's not the same Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is a very common name. There are like five running around the media right now. One's doing movies with Kobe Bryant, okay? So <laughs> be sure to check your facts before you spout out something that's potentially false and damaging to someone's image because I see even people with big platforms spreading this rumor about Michael Jordan investing in prisons, and it's simply not true. And people complaining about Jordan's sneakers are too high, and this is why kids are killing each other over his sneakers. If Michael Jordan lowered the price of his sneakers to $100, they would still sell out, and people would kids would still kill each other and rob each other over them. So that's not going to stop or solve the problem. But the main point is, please, if you're, if you're out there slandering Michael Jordan for his, his disconnection with the African-American community, it's simply not true. If you want to check it out, go to a, go to the Hornets front office or their their headquarters and just look at their staff. Just look at their staff because I, last time I checked, I don't know your favorite rapper, whoever it is that you look up to, how many jobs are they giving people? How many jobs are they providing for their people? Because Michael Jordan is actually doing it. It's just such a shame that that we as a as a population are so jaded that even when a celebrity is doing the right thing that we still try to pinpoint the negative. And then even to go so far as to make up things or, or to purposely not do your diligence and find false false stories about a wrong Michael Jordan. It's like, why, why spend so much time 
looking at the negative. Why why not direct all that all that energy and, and time spent on the positive and and trying to move the social conscious in the right direction? I just I just don't get it, man. Like it's it's it just I don't know if it's just the way of the world because of social media where everybody has a voice or thinks that they they are I don't know, entitled to it because, you know, even when we write articles as writers ourselves, the people that spend so much time just bashing or trying to trying to pick apart pieces, why? If you have something to say, why put why put all that negative connotation on it? Just I just I just don't get it. I really I don't understand it. And how you can say Michael Jordan's only doing this because he's worried about the bottom line. Michael Jordan doesn't need another dollar. Uh his kids don't need another dollar. His great, 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 great grandkids don't need another dollar. So you know what? If, if you're so fixated on just that, then you really need to take a look in the mirror and decide what's important because you've, you're going about it all wrong. You're, you're absolutely right. And people just gravitate toward negative. Again, I posted the article on Michael Jordan. I told people if you, if you have a negative view on Michael Jordan that he doesn't do anything for the African-American community – Please read this article by Mike Wise on The Undefeated because it's absolutely telling as far as what he does behind the scenes. And it got maybe a couple of likes and a couple of people commented on it. But I guarantee you, if I post an article about Michael Jordan getting arrested for something or, or being racially insensitive, that article would have got shared 50 million times, 50 million likes. Because, people, again, people, people like drama. And I think that's part of what society is today because with reality TV coming up over the past years... This is what people like. They like entertainment. And it's sad that a person's downfall or when a person does something wrong is entertaining to people. Whereas when they do something good, it's like, eh, well, oh, well, okay. Or like you said, they just pick holes. Oh, why did it take him so long? Why did it, Why did he do this? Why? What's the motive? And I'm like, well, when if somebody does something wrong, you're never questioning the motive. You go, oh, this is a horrible person. We always paint people as guilty before before they're proven innocent. And then when something good happens, they go, well, what's, what's behind it? What, what's the strings attached? And I think it's it's just totally backwards. And we're not, yeah. we're not giving people the benefit of the doubt who, who may deserve it. And again, if, you, you, if you're not close to Michael Jordan and you don't know him personally, he deserves the benefit of the doubt in this situation because, again, he's been doing things for the African-American community that people are not aware of that they need to read up on because you, you're basically slandering this man and it really needs to stop. I mean, people complain when you don't do anything, and people complain when you do something. So, I mean, honestly, obviously you cannot make everyone happy, but then, you know, people for years were saying Carmelo Anthony's not a leader. He doesn't stand up for his teammates or, you know, the African-American community. And now all of a sudden he comes out, and he's all about uniting everyone and doing what he can. And there's still stories about, well, he's doing it because, you know, he wants to be the leader of the Knicks, so that's why he's he's trying to unite the African-American. And it's like, are you, are you serious? Like, are you even are you even – like drawing a, a a correlation between the two, like come on! I mean, either get over yourself or or read a book. Like, just I, there's so much more to it than what it's not. It's not just black and white. It's not just stop reading the headline on a piece. I I hate when people will read the headline and then comment. Click the link if it's a legitimate source and read the story because the person that spent the time actually doing the research and citing their sources did his due his or her due diligence and wrote a piece. So by you just taking not taking the time to really explore it and just uh, assuming because uh, because you know an eight or nine uh, sentence 
for for you know to grab a headline makes you feel one way or the other you're doing that person a disservice so before you do that stop take the extra four minutes it might take to read the piece and then if you still feel strongly about it then air your dirty laundry to the world otherwise do us all a favor stop because nobody really wants to hear you who you know regardless if you have any type of formal training just because you have an opinion doesn't mean we all want to hear it if you want to be taken seriously write about something serious write about write something about with passion write something with with actual sources cited go ahead and do some work but just blowing out these these asinine comments or these things that have no backing or relevance makes you look uneducated and foolish yeah, you're absolutely right. And you mentioned headline writing, and I'm sure you're familiar with this because you're also an editor of a site. But um, it's tough because as an editor, you want to write a catchy headline to catch people's eye. And then on the other side, if you catch people's eye, sometimes they just, re- like you said, they just read the headline. They don't read the article, which goes in depth about what the headline is about. They just read the headline and make up their mind. Yeah. Quick story, I posted a Nick's article saying, where they rank right now in the Eastern Conference. And I had them sixth place. Now, that's a whole different discussion for a different day. But in the headline, I put, where do the Knicks stand? And then I guess someone read the first line of the article, which ESPN said the Knicks weren't even a playoff team. So then he comments on the article and says, oh, I can't believe this, you're a hater. The Knicks are a playoff team. And I comment back and I'm like, what are you talking about? If you read the article and go through the slideshow, you would see that I had the Knicks 6C, but no, he just read the first 10 words and goes, oh, you're a hater. Yeah. And that's the problem today. People do not. It's, it's funny because we have access to technology. We have so much access. And we're still missing a lot of information because people don't go to extra yard. People are too lazy yeah. to go to extra yard to get the real information. They just want a shortcut. And it's not working out. And this is why how you get rumors and, and viral things go out and misinformation left and right because you have so much garbage online and you have so many lazy people reading garbage and then spreading it around and this is why we're all confused not just in the sports world but in society and politics as well you got rumors going out oh hillary's a liar trump is a racist and that's the, that's the big thing now and, and that's being fed to the to the people as fear to say oh vote against this person because this person is a racist vote against this person because this person is a liar and will probably have us in war the second day she's she's in the presidency. So, people, check your sources. Read. As I said, pick up a book. Go in depth. Before you open your mouth and have an opinion, because a lot of people have influence with their opinions, before you get on a radio show like me and Mike do, we do our research before we get on. Before we write an article, we do hours of research. There is time and effort being put into this. Do your due diligence. Read these pieces. Get to the depth of things. Don't just make a decision based on the headline or based on what he said or or she said. Do your research because in that sense, you make the world a better place as far as information is concerned. People become more informed with what you have to say if you're credible. So again... Do your research. Yeah, and and if you do, you'll you'll be amazed at how much more credibility you will have, and how much better informed you will be, and how you can actually hold a conversation instead of just but or I or no. And you know, you know what? Take your emotion out of it. That's the biggest thing. Take the emotion out of it, and and save it for when you can actually back it up with with stats or or figures or timeline or whatever it might be. But 
Well, you know, it's it's interesting. Everybody's going to have their own opinion at the end of the day. But you know what? If you want to share that opinion, drop us a line. It's mentalitymedia.com slash podcast. Tell us what you want to talk about. You know, whatever it might be, as long as it's not ridiculous and blasphemous and any any other us this kind of type of words, um, we're all about it. We want to hear your opinion. We'll talk sports. We want to have people on. So either hit us up on social media, Mike and Mo Show uh, at Twitter or Mike and Mo Show on Facebook. And, you know, we want to start having some some segments where we bring on we bring on live guests or we read your tweet uh you know because we want to know exactly what you want to talk about we feel like we are doing uh you know we're doing our part to to continue the narrative but again getting your voice on air is just something that will will you know help that uh to move it even further along and of course go to that same mentalitymedia.com slash podcast and sign up for the mike and mo fantasy football league which i will win but it'll still be fun to dominate you and any of your friends that feel like playing especially when i play mo because i cannot wait to destroy him and real quick question yes. is that fantasy league, what platform is that fantasy league gonna be on i mean yeah, I, we, we, we haven't decided we could do it i mean uh something inexpensive so i mean we could do it like nfl.com or we could do i mean i don't even know if yahoo still exists because i haven't played that in like forever but you know usually i play cbs so i mean something like that whatever the platform is i'll win regardless it does not matter i'll take you out i'll take laura out any of my friends listen to the show i'll take you out it doesn't matter because i am mo and as you heard today i am an nfl guru forget all the guys you hear on tv forget forget adam schefter i'm the guy you want to talk to when it comes down to information Absolutely. he may break the news but i have the on-point analysis so there you go on that one you stand no chance this is very true i mean you're gonna lose but you are very well uh you know spoken and you know your stuff so hey if anybody wants some information you know take it from mo if he has some great insight just don't follow uh, his fantasy football thought of, of you know because you don't want to you don't want to be a guy that comes in last or next to last you want to win like me but regardless you know it's still that time to go to itunes mike and mo show uh just type it in the little podcast section download rate review uh keep those comments coming we're getting some great stuff everything you do helps us become relative in the world of a podcast and that and that's what's important we're starting to get some great feedback uh via social media uh those numbers are keep going up so we we are greatly uh, appreciative of everything that you the listeners do and again we're doing it for you so mo before we sign off anything else you want to share with uh with the good people here on the internet Again, look out for that piece today. I predict the win-loss records for each NFL team. If you're a fan of a, of a good team, you, you might agree with it. If you're a fan of a crappy team, you might curse at me, but that's fine. It's on point. It's accurate. It's the truth. It's reality. Okay, I'm keeping it 100. I'm keeping it G, okay? 100%. You already know if you follow my Twitter how I roll. Absolutely. Keeping it 92% because that's what it's all about. But this time next week will be, will be you know, a, another week closer to the start of the NFL season, and we will recap some of, hopefully, what are the big trades in the world of Major League Baseball. Until then, I'm Mike Calandrillo. He's Maurice Moten, and always, we'll see you next week. Take care.